You are listening to the Feedback Podcast with my homie Back. And welcome to the Feedback Podcast, everybody. My name is Back. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 197. I think, yeah, 197. Uh, and as I said, and I've said before, I'm focusing on comedy. I've had a lot of people on so far. I plan on having a whole lot more on. Uh, fun talks. There's a lot of shit happening here in Austin, Texas. So, you know, you had to be in it. And in that same vein, I'd like to introduce my guest. I got Brandon. Does it Lewin? Did I yeah, saying it right? Lewin? Lewin? Yeah. Yes. Uh, from Big Laugh Comedy Network. Thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate it in these crazy times. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, bro. I uh, appreciate it. You know, you should have a tagline. Bring, bringing it back. You dude, know, the feedback. Bringing it back. Dude, do you know how many <laughs> puns I can do on my name? I should turn it into so a much. game show. <laughs> you should, bro. You you should have one episode where like everything, it, like one time per episode, it's a segment, just like a pun, a back pun. So Dude, that'd be fucking awesome. I, I used to throw events around Austin every three months. Uh-huh. I've been in Austin 23 oh, right. years. I used to throw events oh, wow. every three months and uh-huh. every event had, had my name in it. I did the back in the day. I did the give back. That was the fundraiser. I That's did amazing. the backstroke was the boat party. I mean, I, I, trust me, I think oh I my think like mine, the, the possibilities are endless. For point. real, man. That's <laughs> awesome, though. You should bring bring all those back. <laughs> there it is. Oh, uh, I just walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, so you've been here 23 years, you said? Yeah. Where are you from originally? Originally from West Africa. Grew up in Paris, France. Moved to Austin 23 years ago. What, yeah. what part of West Africa? Senegal. Okay. I had some, I had a lot of friends from like Nigeria and stuff like that uh, back in Chicago where I'm originally from. And so um, we used to get, because uh, Nigeria is West Africa too, right? Uh, yes. West Central, I would say. Like okay. it's more a little bit, and it's on the north side, but it's more like towards, it's more inland. Senegal is right on the coast, like as west okay. as you can go on the coast. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you're like true West Side. They're like kind of like fake West Side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can, I can what, do the W like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring it back, baby. Um, <laughs> um, no, like because uh, they used to. They brought me to like uh, one of their friends opened up like a West African restaurant, and I remember I got some food. I don't remember what food I got, but I remember I got some dishes out there, and the food was amazing. Really spicy, but it was really good. Um, yeah, so it's it's funny like. When people say they're from like certain parts of places, like I get it from Chicago all the time, right? Like I'm, I say I'm from Chicago. I grew up in Skokie, which is like right outside of Chicago. It's like mm-hmm. literally the suburb next to it and just north of it. And but then you get a ton of people who come and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm from Chicago. I'm like, oh, whereabouts? And they're like Naperville, which is like 45 minutes west. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not really Chicago, man. I'm like, that, like, it'll take you like an hour and a half to get in the city alone with traffic. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's funny how all that stuff works out. Anyway, I digress. No, it's, that's fine. Look, a, I get all the time. There's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of digressing. So look, I'm just going to let you know. Like I said, this is not an interview. We're just talking. But, good, but you good, know, good. I get the, I get the same shit because I, I just told you I'm from Paris, France, but I'm not really. I grew up outside of Paris. But if I told you the name of the Got town, it. Yeah. Nobody knows what the hell it is. So I'm like, exactly. if, if you know what the, what the castle of Versailles is, I grew up 15 minutes away from there. No kidding. Okay. So, but I say Paris just so people don't ask me, oh, what's the town really? So, and I even say Africa. So people don't ask me what country, because they don't know the country I'm from. They'll say Nigeria, yeah. like you did. 
or yeah. South Africa or Zamunda or Wakanda or some shit like that. But I'm like, it's Senegal. Forget it. Don't ask me where it is. I don't do the geography lesson. It's, I heard it's a- of Senegal, though. Uh, I believe um, Luol Deng is from over there. Is that my mistaken? Who? Luol Deng. He was a basketball player. Um, uh, I don't know. The 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 most famous reference, Akon, is from there. Oh, Akon. Okay. Yeah. Is there is there any basketball players from there? I think there are. Uh, Serge Ibaka, I think, is from Senegal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I maybe think, that's it. I just I think the he name. Is. Yeah. One the name for somehow like resonates, and I, I don't think it was Akon. Like I'm. I mean, Akon's Akon. The most I know about Akon is the fact that like two things. He had like multiple wives or has multiple wives. And then he also found Lady Gaga. So he's yep. pretty much just like bankrolling. Yeah, yeah, Dude, he's good. Do you know how much people hated Akon in Senegal? Why? Because he he left when he was a kid and he knew the language. He knows he, mm-hmm. he knew how to speak Wolof, which is the, the dialect that most people speak there. And he would come back to Senegal and ask for a translator. And that shit doesn't shit. fly because yeah, no, yeah. people are like, fuck you, Akon. And and then and then he uh, he came back to Senegal now that he's rich and like you said, he found Lady Gaga and he's actually trying to get like some kind of power grid or something installed, like trying to help with the because our power grid is is worse than than ERCOT. It's it's bad, and he's like, I'm gonna bad, do something. Yeah, 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 that bad. Like it, you know the the whole rolling. Like rolling thing that the rollout yeah. thing that they that they kind of did. I didn't get none yeah, of it wrong. by the way. They do that in Senegal all the time, so you can be without power for three days in a row. So wow. you you're using candles, you're doing all that shit, and you're like, yeah, you know, it'll be back, and then it comes back, and it dies again, and that's just everyday life. So Akon came back. He's like, all right, I'm gonna fix this. I'm like, I we love you, Akon. Now we love you. <laughs> <laughs> We love you. Get get all the translators you want. Just yeah, give us the power, fine. motherfucker. We will, learn English. we will learn English just for <laughs> That's what's up, man. Uh, but, so, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Now, so born and raised in Chicago? I mean, next to Chicago? Yeah, yeah. So I was born I was born in Skokie. Uh, we're not born. I was born in Chicago, but I, I was raised in Skokie. And uh, I actually ended up going to high school. My dad and my mom got divorced when I was 11. So uh, I lived with, actually with my dad for a, a majority of the breakup. Um, mm-hmm. And he kind of bounced around. We actually lived in the city for a while. I still got, went to school in Skokie because we used like his address, his work address. Um, so I could still go to school with all my friends and stuff like that. So I graduated middle school from Skokie. And then he got remarried to my stepmom. Mm-hmm. lived up in Highland Park, which is the North Shore. And that's where I ended up uh, graduating from high school. And then high school, I got into DePaul University, um, and which is in the city in Lincoln Park. And that's where I ended up going to college for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird because like Skokie is the little UN, right? Like because it's so close to Chicago, mm-hmm. there's every pot, like every nationality in there really like my best friend yeah my best friend living next to me was filipino mm-hmm. um my one of my good friends that lived down the street um was uh haitian um i had friends that were you know white and catholic i had russian friends i had indian friends i had um 
you know, black, uh, Hispanic, I mean, across the board, like it was like, I was, I was the white Jewish kid in Skokie, which Skokie is actually used to be known as like the place where a lot of Jewish people lived, but mm -hmm. it, it, it's really morphed when, especially when I was younger. Um, and, uh, so I was like, I was the minority in the group of my friends and it was, it was, I never thought about it though. And then I moved to Highland park and went to high school there and it's predominantly white and Jewish. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, we're all the black people and Hispanic, where, where's everyone else? Where, why is it just one group of people? And I actually, it's so funny because I migrated to make it friends with more of the minorities in the school, um, just because that's who I was comfortable with, you know? Did you, did you pick up on those cultures? Because I mean, you're hanging out with the Haitians. Yeah. You know, you start picking up on, you know, some of their, you know, the Creole or whatever. I mean, their, their French is funny to, to listen to. <laughs> it, it is. And but I love it though. It, yeah, it, I, I used to, I loved it. I mean, it was it was cool as hell for me. Like I'd spend time in the houses and everything was different, but I I always soaked it up. My my like funniest thing is like my best friend who lived next door to me was Filipino. And so Filipino is like the, the, the food is so interesting to me because the food is really good, but like they would mix like American food with Filipino food specifically for breakfast. I remember one time I went over there and had breakfast with them and they had like pancakes and waffles and then they had like they had r white rice and like chicken and rice like for the breakfast. Yeah, even right, in right, Africa, right. we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is sacrilege, man. What the? Yeah. Whoa, they were, this some yeah, fusion shit were, right here. <laughs> they, they, I, bro, it's just like I think it's just like an Asian cultures. They just eat rice all the damn time. So it was just wild to me, though. I was like. I was like, I guess I'll eat some rice with my waffles and syrup. I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna say no to this. So I'm sorry, and, uh, that sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny too. Like some of my other best friends, but like two of these kids I really grew up uh, for a long time. They were twins, mm -hmm. uh, white kids, and I used to go to their house all the time. And it was the first time I ever ate like Brussels sprouts. But, like thinking back on it, I was like, no wonder I never I never really liked eating at their house. Although I stayed there all the time for dinner. Mm -hmm. Um. I never liked eating there. And I think it's because they cooked like regular white people. There was no actual seasoning. Like they thought salt was seasoning. And so it was just like, and I was so used to these other cultures, man. I was like, damn, where's the actual seasoning? I'm like, fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that's that's interesting because like, like growing up in France, I, people always ask me, so do you know French food? And I'm like, well, not really. Because I grew up with African food. And the only time I had French food was when I go to my friend's house. And even that, some of them were had like Italian roots. Some of them were had was from the, from the West Indies. And also my parents were not big fans of, oh, you go eat. You have food here. Why would you go eat over there? Like that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know what what actual American cuisine is like. Not good. Not. Burger and burger and fries. I mean, fries and burger and fries. Fries yeah, not for me. Fries is good. Yeah, it's that. I mean, that's good. You can't really mess that up. But like, oh yeah, you can. Like, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can fuck up I a burger, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you could. Uh, I forgot one comedian had a joke where they're like, uh, they were talking about tuna casserole. They're like, you should never mix the two. Oh, Chappelle Lacey, who was just here a couple weekends ago, uh -huh. black guy. He got adopted by a white family when he was a little bit older. And he remember he, he has this whole bit about like tuna casserole, which is like noodles and tuna and like some other stuff. And he was like, why would you mix the two together? Like just put tuna by itself 
and pasta by itself. <laughs> like you don't need to mix the. T- <laughs> um, but that's like that's like white people cuisine right there, like or like American cuisine. Like it's just not. It's not good. It's not very good. But burgers and fries are good. P- you know, pizza. I guess is kind. Of, uh, pizza is more. I guess the style that you have, right, um, is is different than you know what you might have in like Italy or some shit like that. But yeah, man, it's it's not my favorite cuisine. Nah. And then you get the country fried steak. You know, fried. I think fried food is American though. Yeah. Oh, of course. fry shit. Just whatever you can fry. And Where else do you go in the world that you can find fried food like you do in the United States? Nowhere. No. No. Yeah, because we're like we're like, hey, let's take something good and fry it, and then we'll make it really unhealthy, but it'll taste delicious. That's yeah, that's American for you. You know, it's like let's, huh? let's do an experiment and fry Twinkies just for the fuck of it. <laughs> so, have you ever had a fried Twinkie? No, nah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to live, man. Instant diabetes is not for me. <laughs> Bro, so that or a fried Oreo, like, whew, it no, is good no. though, man. It's 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 definitely like try it once and that's it. But like anything fried is good, and then like it's it's sort of like anything with bacon is good too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so well, like, go ahead. I I, I saw that the uh, was it Denny's or IHOP that had like had a bacon week. Remember that? And it was no. everything everything with bacon, like pancake with bacon, uh, Sunday with with bacon on it. Oh jeez. Yes. That that is serious bacon, man. Yeah, I don't I don't mess I don't mess with Denny's, man. I I'm trying to live too. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, bacon like like you could have chocolate covered bacon and that is delicious. It is so good. Uh, I like I like how the look you're giving me. Like, no, no. <laughs> I'll take your word on it. No, you know what? Hey, 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 I I I'll keep an open mind. And try everything once. If I don't like it, I don't like it. You know, it's, it's exactly it's it's good to discover new stuff. But um, so what was the comedy click for you? Like when you were a kid in Chicago, because I know the comedy scene in Chicago is pretty big, right? Was it big? Yeah, it was already big back then, I would assume. Yeah, it, it was. You know, Second City was the, what, what, it, what right. it was. You know, mm-hmm. Second City is the claim to fame in Chicago. And I took some classes when I was younger in my like early 20s at Second City. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but like I grew up, my dad grew up, um, we, we watched everything. I watched, uh, delirious, you know, a uh, number of times. It was my favorite stand up growing up, uh, something I probably shouldn't have watched when I watched it, but I had a lot of that, uh, growing up. My dad just kind of let me watch whatever the hell I wanted to, um, mm-hmm. the exorcist at the age of nine for the first wow. time. And yeah. And I, I laughed at him and I thought it was funny. Like, I don't know if it's like a defense mechanism <laughs> or what, but like, I laughed during all those scary parts and so much so that I, those same guys that I used to always bring over or used to go over to their house for, for dinner, I had them over for a sleepover and we watched that movie and I knew all the scary parts. I would jump out and scare the shit out of them and it brought me <laughs> so much joy. They did not like it at all. They were like, I hate this. This is horrible. And I was like, this is so much fun. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um but yeah, I grew up, you know, watching that. My dad used to always listen to like Andrew Dice Clay, Bobby Slayton in the car. We used to listen to like comedy albums on the on the regular. Uh, mm-hmm. We used to like like back in Chicago, we had a, a like a shock jockey uh, by the name of Man Cow that was pretty freaking hilarious that we used to always listen to. Mm-hmm. And then I just grew up like you know watching Def Comedy Jam, like all that stuff, man. And and honestly, like I tell this to people all the time is like, I never thought comedy could be a business, right? Like, or, or like an option. Like I never really thought the comedy world was something that 
was accessible to somebody. It was just kind of like you kind of had to fall into it. And so, and, and again, you know, when I was the, how I was raised was, you know, my, my dad was an entrepreneur, um, business owner. So he knew, like, he taught me that side of, of the world. But again, I never really saw the, the opportunity to do something in comedy until later in life, man. And, um, and so, you know, I, um, I always watched stand up. I was always a big fan of it. I, uh, uh, did, did the classes in second city, but it really wasn't until it got here in Austin about five, six years ago in August of 2015, where I started really that same year, I think it was, I think it was that year, mm -hmm. uh, in, in December or November, I started, I was like, you know what? You only live life once. Mike, I really like comedy. I like everything that's going on. I'm like, let me, let me see if I can throw my hat in the ring and do something in in this world and so i started to research stand up and started to learn more about it and i started to um write material and go to to open mics and it wasn't until like a month after doing all that that i was like oh screw it. i'm gonna do my first open mic so i went up and i but did this, it and well, I hold on uh, did, did, did someone tell you hey you should go and try it or do you, you had any idea what you're getting into I had no idea what I was getting into. No, no, no. I all all I had was like the research that I could find on the internet, which wasn't really much at the time. Uh -huh. uh, and and I would and and being like the marketing and social media person I am, I started like reaching out to comedians and people online to ask them for advice and stuff. And everyone just kept on saying, "Just keep writing, keep doing it, keep writing, keep doing it." You don't say. Time, I was like. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? I'm like, give me some more solid advice than that. And it wasn't until I actually started doing it when I realized, oh, that's what they mean. Um, and so it, uh, yeah, man, it, you know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I did read, though, that like the first time is always nerve wracking. And honestly, like I've been doing speaking for the businesses that I've run. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a big part of my business. So speaking engagements, and I always try to make it very entertaining. And I always just try to be high energy and try to make people laugh. And I called it in, um, uh, infotainment, you know, like they got information, but also entertainment at the same time. And uh, so because I did all that, I was like, man, I probably could really easily translate into the comedy world. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like, and, and, you know, I have that delusional mind. It's like the borderline too optimistic, you know, where I just like, I think I could do whatever the fuck I from my mind to, which I really do think that. And mm -hmm. um, I was just like, so I was like, all right, man, I'm, I'm gonna give it a shot. And I went up there and I had my first story. The first bit I did was a story about me losing my virginity. That's um, always good. And, yeah, yeah. It really set the mood <laughs> and uh, it, went, it went pretty well. I got a, I got a few laughs. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I ran with it. Like you, it's like, you give me an inch and I will take a mile, man. Like that's kind of my, my philosophy on stuff. So, uh, I got a couple laughs out of it from people sitting in the bar and I was, and the bartenders laughed too. And I don't know if they were laughing at me or with me, but I don't give don't a matter what they were doing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't laugh. matter. Life's I, a laugh. was, I was addicted. So I was like, man, I'm going to do this more. But what, what kind of happened with that was that, um, I'm an impatient person and, um, and so I started to realize, and also the community down here at the time, um, was, it was very cliquish, you know, and, and 
Uh-huh. It was, it's hard to break in, right? If you're outsider coming in into the first time, they see you, a majority of the people in Austin at the time looked at you as someone trying to steal stage time from them, right? Or competition. So and unless you were their friends, they weren't putting you at the top top spots. They were, weren't letting you on shows and all this stuff. And so I just, I was like, man, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to take power in my own hands. And so I started an open mic so I could get more stage time on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I started producing shows myself with like legit all headliners. All by myself. Man. Wow. And the first show we did... I, because, all right, so to kind of go back on that a little bit, I live in Leander. So the other thing with me is that I, I live in Leander. And at the time, this was like four years ago. So it wasn't 2015, it was like 2016, I think, or mm-hmm. yeah, it was probably around then. Um, so I had, I have three kids and I'm married and I also run my own business. So I have to be very strategic with my time. And so for me to go out to do three open mics in one night and be out till two o'clock in the morning, it's not really possible. So I had to be very smart with how I do things. So I was trying to get on certain stuff and control my time and it just didn't work out. So that's mm-hmm. why I started to take control of my own hands and started doing my own things and open mics and so forth. But I also, being that I lived in Leander, a lot of my friends, when I told them I was doing comedy, because I'm like a naturally funny guy, they were like, oh man, he's going to be great on stage. Like, we'd love to see you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right. I'm like, I do. Right now, I just got open mics and they're all in the city. They're like, ah, I'm not going to go all the way down there. This and that. I had a few friends that came out and watched me. But um, I was like, screw it. I'm gonna, like, I'm going to put on a show so I can do like 10 minutes at the top. Mm-hmm. And then I can have a few other comedians come up. And then I can have a, like a legit headliner. They'll do a solid 45 minutes. And I'll pay them a couple hundred bucks and then I'll pay the other comedians some money too. And I always, I always saw too is that I never understood how comedians didn't take the, the comedy serious enough to charge money, like legit money for what they're doing. A lot of mm-hmm. times you see a lot of these free shows, you see a lot of like uh, $5 tickets and stuff like that. Right. And like even at a $5 ticket, like my philosophy, because uh, from coming from a business perspective is that, you know, it is always good to charge people because there's more of a value to it. They'll actually come knowing that they paid money. If it's free, there's a 50, 50 chance they're going to show up, you know, probably even less than that. Yep. I, I, so, I totally agree with that. What was there anything happening in, in Leander at the time? No, no, not at the time. There was, there was, there was a few like, no, because I was the first one. I didn't even do it in Leander at first. I, I, the first place I did it was at uh, Whitestone Brewery, which is in Cedar Park. Uh-huh. And that was the first place I did it. And we did two shows there. Um, the first show was we sold over 100 tickets. And the average ticket was about $17 a ticket. So we made some pretty good money. But I pumped in a, a couple hundred bucks into like Facebook ads. We mm-hmm. got people to come. Only about, a, only about a fourth of the people that came I actually knew. So that was really nice. I mean, it was fun to have those people in there. But the rest of the crowd were str- strangers that either found me through like the community impact or through Facebook ads. And mm-hmm. so, uh, again, from a, mac- a marketing background, I knew how to kind of get the word out there in the right way. And so, um, so I did, so that their first show was great, sold out, had a hundred tickets, even people, we, we, we maxed out at hundred because that's as much people as we could fit onto their, their, uh, beer garden area on the outside of their patio. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had more people who wanted to buy tickets. So it was great. 
the second show was about 85 tickets or so and um, still same kind of ticket price. And then we took a little bit of time off um, and I did a couple more shows after that, which still got like 85, 90 tickets, but then, and, and shows were going really well, but then my, my marketing business started to take off. So I had to take a little bit of a hiatus from producing in the shows, but then people kept on asking me like, hey, Brandon, when are you gonna do it again? We'd love to see it, blah, blah. And I, I also got a little discouraged with Whitestone Brewery because they, I was bringing in like a, a buttload of people who were a hundred people on average were buying about 40 bucks worth of booze per person. Oh, that's, that's, pretty- when gets, that's when it gets where when you got to talk about, hey, how about I get, I get a cut from the, you know, from the bar? Cause you're getting ticket sales, right? I would assume. Yeah. I was just getting the ticket sales, but the, that's the thing is that they were also charging me a hundred dollars for the, and a hundred dollars is that much when you look at it, but yeah. they were still charging me for the room. And I was like, I'm bringing you all these people who are buying booze. Why do I need to pay you money? And they just kept on being admin about it. And so I just was like, all right, fine, screw it. And mm-hmm. so I ended up uh, finding another place when I ended up getting back into it, um, a place in Leander called Leander Beer Market. Mm-hmm. And those guys, uh, Luke and his brother, um, Jensi, they're, they're amazing. They're, they were so great. They didn't ask for money at all. They're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Uh, same thing. We sold about a hundred tickets, a little over for the first show. And, um, and then people were drinking like crazy. And then we just started doing that on a regular basis for about six months. Um, at the wow. tail end. Of, yeah, we did it. I, did, I want to say we did about for like six months of the tail end of 2019. So it was like the summer of 2019 up until like February of 2020 is when we did our last show there. And then, uh, and then, COVID. yeah, man, I actually, go ahead. And then COVID. <laughs> well, so I was going to go into it, man. It's like, because at that point I was, I was so in love and had so much fun with what I was doing from the, the production side of it that I actually stopped doing standup. I yes, wasn't doing uh, standup. Did you, did yeah. you feel like you were, that's where you need that? That's going, that was going to be your contribution to the comedy world. And you're like, you know what? I don't have time to go to open my secure saying, and then production is what I know, you know, business, you know, marketing, you know, social, yep. media. So, you know, play on your strength. That makes total sense. Exactly, man. That's exactly what happened was I just, uh, I realized, I quickly realized where my strengths were better utilized in. And, and that's where it was, the production side. And so um, I just stopped doing stand up and, I was just like, let's produce the shows. And it'll make it made life a lot easier having that like because I the the most stressful part about doing stand-up and producing the show for mm-hmm. me was the stand-up part, was like being prepared for the stand-up. Like everything else, I was very calm about, you know, making sure that we had the right tickets, the advertising, all that stuff. That stuff I was fine with. But when it came to like actually having to put together material and make sure my stuff was really tight, it was just hard. So it was a natural fit. Um, to do the the business side of things and and my philosophy, you know, and and uh, my belief from the get go was always to get the comedians paid. Like even when we first started in shows, I paid like the the opening acts who were doing like five ten minutes. I still pay them like thirty thirty five bucks for coming up there. I remember one girl, uh, Jacqueline. She uh, she came up to me after our first show that she did with us, and uh, she told me, she said, Brandon, this is the first time I've ever getting paid for doing comedy. I was like, that's awesome. I'm like, take a screenshot, whatever. I, I think <laughs> I've got her money. 
yeah. frame that dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Frame, frame that one dollar that you're getting and the two beer tickets, um, and you'll be fine. Um, so, but yeah, man, it was it, it was always nice to be able to pay them money, and people were very grateful for it. So it was it was fun. But you know, going into when I was picking up steam in the talent in 2019. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to set a goal for myself to go into 2020 and do this as a full-time gig. And at that time, too, I was I had an opportunity where here in, in Cedar Park, there's the Cedar AGB Center, and mm-hmm. there was um, they, wait, wait, they wait, wanted, wait. The, big, the the arena in Cedar Park. Yeah, yeah. AGB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to shows. They, so, yeah. So I, I I I was in contact with them, and I was finding out about actually putting on a show. So I went from like producing 100 people shows to be being that I wanted to do a 1200 person show. And then, uh, wow. and yeah, like that's how ambitious I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, Sometimes, hey, no shame in yeah. it. Fuck it. Yep. Good. Exactly, man. I mean, but sometimes you got to be brought down to reality. And, um, luckily there was a guy, this guy. So, so in that process, I kind of got a crash course in talking to all these large agencies. I was reaching out to, you know, people like, uh, WME and CAA and, all mm-hmm. these large uh, talent agencies and people were like, I was asking, like, I remember at the time, so I'm glad I never ended up doing this, but I had, I reached out to see if Crystal Leo would do a headlining thing. And oh, they're like, nah. Good timing. And, and my, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it was, it was before all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But good. They, but, but he, uh, they, they, I remember they told me that um, he, he wanted like, he needed like somewhere around $200,000 for for a show and i was like what and then i remember i reached out to angela johnson's people uh-huh. and they also quoted me like somewhere around like 200 or 300 000 for her angela johnson like, really yeah exactly so i kept on asking <laughs> people around that knew the industry and the market a little bit better i was like is this right like this doesn't seem right they're like that's just the fuck you offer that's like them just thinking like 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 you could if they give you, if you give them that money, they're going to be really happy, but they know that most likely you're not going to give them that money. And so they're just trying to get you off their backs. And I was like, ah, oh, that makes total sense. Uh-huh. And that was the case, man. Like is I, I was dealing with some of these agencies that got passed around, passed around. They're like, Oh no, talk to this person, talk to that person, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until this guy, Adam who runs ICM partners who to this day, I still have the, so much loyalty and, and, and respect for, because he was the only person that would take, I mean, this guy's running a very large agency. He took the time, 30 minutes to talk to me and, and mm-hmm. give me the lay of the land and just to be like, Brandon, this is what's happening. He asked me what my plan was. I told him what I was going to do. He said, you know what? You really should bring it back, scale it back. You're doing 100 person shows right now. He's like, go to 200, 300 person shows. Then when you get to 300 person shows and you're doing that on a regular basis, mm-hmm. then expand to 1200. Then you can go from there and then you have a email list of, you know, 40,000 people or so forth. And, and then you can go and, and this and that. And he gave me so much advice and it was really helpful that I was like, oh man, I appreciate that. So I did scale it back. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to do like a 200, 300 person show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 2020 is going to be the year that I go full time. I booked my first large headliner, which was Dean Del Rey to come into Austin, Texas and play the venue down on sixth street. Right. And I had everything set. And of course COVID hit, you know, it was March 7th was the show, March 7th, 2020. <laughs> and 
I remember Dean, I remember this specifically because Dean flew in. He was like, man, this is so weird. He's like, the airlines, he's barely new people on there. He's like, everyone's freaking out. He's yeah. like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I'm like, and I, at the time I had no idea. He's like, and, and people were like, oh, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. But people freaked out. Obviously, it shut, you know, things shut down the next week. And uh, we didn't have a very good time. We had 110 people there, um, but I was expecting like 300. Right. And so it, it it hurt a little bit um, in the pocketbooks. But uh, the crazy thing in all this is that as soon as that hit and and we kind of like that everything shut down, but then we started to get in the glimpse of like what things were going to look like and and started the funding started kind of rolling out with like the PPP loans and mm-hmm. and the stimulus checks and all that shit. Once all that started happening, I was like, you know what? I'm like, we're going to be locked down. I'm like, let's do something with this. Let's do comedy in the right way. Let's, let's bring comedy to people while they're going through all this stuff. And I talked to some of the comedians that I knew locally and then some other people that I knew too, that were a little bit more established mm-hmm. around the country. And we started to produce, we took our show that we had done in Leander, uh, which is called in the meantime, which was created by Carter Anderson. Yeah. Very funny show. partner. Yeah. yeah. And so, he uh he was like we did the show live for the first time in February, mm-hmm. and then when the the sh- when COVID hit, I was like, you know what, we could probably do this online. I'm like, this is how we do it, and so we planned it out, and then we launched it through Zoom and we streamed it to Facebook, and uh, it did pretty well. And then the second show, uh, we did it again, but the problem was that like the the Zoom wasn't connecting with the Facebook, <laughs> so. <laughs> I you do. No, I I've to, run into uh, this shit too. I know exactly yeah, what you're talking it's a, about. It's a pain in the ass. But what I ended up doing was I ended up streaming it from Facebook on my phone to watch my screen on my computer as we're doing it through Zoom. It was the most ghetto rigged thing <laughs> I've ever seen. And but it worked. And people like and it still was like one of the higher like viewed shows that we had, but it was so funny how it like worked out. And then uh, what was great that is that although we did that, people started reaching out to me, just saying like, "Love what you're doing. Would love to help." And mm-hmm. so I started getting help from a technical standpoint. I started getting help from a production standpoint, and it just it started to go well. At, at one point during the during the the lockdown uh, and, pan, and the pandemic, we had ten shows running. We had a show every night of the week, sometimes multiple shows during the week. Mm-hmm. And it was going good, man. We got it. We had a, a sponsor for a little bit, and then um, then things started to die down a little bit. Like I think people got like the tired uh, of them. Fa- yeah, fatigued. Yeah, just fatigued with all this like stuff online. But the the shows that we did, we never did a tip. We never did a stand up show. It was never st- online stand up because yeah. I still to this day I don't think it works. I can't at all. It doesn't. Let, let me ask you this though. So yeah. when you when you said you were reaching out to all these these agencies and trying to figure out, you know, how the booking works and, and all of that, I always wondered because first of all, I didn't find out about you until now maybe I fast forwarding a little bit until like November twenty twenty with the Tony Hinchcliffe show at Vulcan. Yeah. We can talk mm-hmm. about we can get into that how you got with Nick and all that stuff. But um like how easy is it? to pick up the phone, call agency and say, Hey, I'd like to book fill in the blank. How do I go about like, did anybody tell you maybe that dude did that you that you talked to, but like, I always, I I always think about like, 
how the, the amount of hierarchy and paperwork and logistics and just bureaucracy shit that has to go, that has to happen in order to book somebody like a nationally touring comic. Or like you yeah. said, you try to reach out to, to the people, to Chris D'Elia's people. Like how that blows my mind because I'm thinking there's got to be so many layers just to get to the guy who's going to say, yeah, this is how much it is. This is how it works. Yeah. It, it, so at that time, it was harder than hell, man. It's like, but it, it didn't deter me because I'm used to like, I, I was, I grew up in the world of sales, you know, being an entrepreneur, you got to learn how to sell. So, and I grew up like most of my jobs before starting my own business with sales. So getting rejected has never been a hard thing for me. I'm used to it. And, and actually, I, like I embrace it. Um, mm-hmm. But so I, I never got deterred about actually reaching out to him, but it was, it was hard. I mean, and honestly, like they, they didn't give me the time of day. Like Adam was the only one that took the time to spend just 20 minutes on the phone. Mm-hmm. And even at that right, he still had to make the right decision for his client. So at the time, like we were trying to work out some deals and he was still a little hesitant about doing something with me because I was a, a new, you know, in their eyes, a promoter, booker uh, in Austin. And Austin at that time, pre-COVID, there really was the Paramount and then, which was Moon Tower and Moon yep. Tower Festival. Yep. And then there was Cap, City. Cap City. And that That's was it. it. That was yep. it. And and the reason for that, I mean, I, all right, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get back relaxed for this. And I'm going to say it because this is what I believe. Cap City was a horribly run business. And uh, a horribly run business because they ran a monopoly on the industry, on the comedy in Austin for 35 years. Um, I don't know all the details. I only know what I've heard from other people. So if I'm wrong by this, I'm happy to be, stand and be corrected on mm-hmm. this. But from what I hear is that they would try to run people out of town um, and, or, or they had a, a large radius too, like a, 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 like a no com- a non-compete radius clause. And so even like now that their, their cap city is coming back, they're run by a new ownership. They still right. have, I think, one of the persons in there, but they're run by the Helium Group, which runs a very similar ship uh, mm-hmm. organization where they strong arm people. And um, and and it's it's a well-known thing within the industry. And as much as people say they love Cap City, like the end of the day is like Cap City said, if you're trying to do comedy shows in Austin and you're not going through us, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. They're like comedians will get blacklisted uh you know uh people get run out of town so it was just a bad it, it was bad for the 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 community though right like yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's I, bad for it's mm-hmm. unhealthy for comedians and it's bad for the austin community like there was never a really large scene here in the first place and imagine if there was you know for a city that was growing so fast especially pre-covid mm-hmm. um you would think that would they would have more opportunities but it just never got to that point plus like when you went to go watch uh, comedy there it was like it was very outdated. The tables there was like lunch chairs and tables, and the, it was uncomfortable to sit I've at. Been, I've been going there since two thousand two. Okay, and I would look. I, and I and I know and I know those people. Uh, I mean, I'm not a comic. I'm not in the production world. So to me, it was I'm just a comedy fan, and that was the place to be. So I was there all the time. I got to. Yeah. Uh, I was on. Um, uh, who did I have the, the other night? Uh, Charles Adams Jr. That uh-huh. I, I was a judge on the funniest person in Austin two years in a row. Oh, nice, awesome. And and then I entered in 2019 as a comic. But to to me, it, I, I, 
and this is this is a recurring theme that I, and I and I've interviewed and interviewed and talked to a lot of people, and this this idea that you're in the same you're in the same boat, right? You're trying to mm-hmm. grow scene, you know. Austin, of course, is known for its music uh, and all that, and now comedy is kind of creeping up, and music is kind of is dying, really. And so we all trying to do something, and all trying to play our parts. Whether you're, you're doing shows, you have open mics every night. Uh, there's people moving here, which is great. More opportunities for everybody. But the idea that people there could be beef between someone is being a dick about you know someone coming in or you know, this cliquish kind of atmosphere that we got going on. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Austin is Austin. Has, the thing about Austin that I've noticed early on is that you got, if you're into a particular, if you're into the entertainment industry, you're, you're bound to meet the right people who are going to help you, you know, grow your shit. Sure. Whether you're a musician, you're an artist, you're a DJ, you're whatever. Like there's these key like movers and shakers, if you will, that, it's very a collaborative type of environment. And then when, when it came to comedy, I was like, I don't, it wasn't so much the case. And I've heard stories mm-hmm. too from, you know, uh, uh, Rob Morris from the Romo room, you know, the one you're telling me now by cap city and, or just comics getting, you know, getting clickish and not letting, you know, new guys trying to get on and all that. It, it, it really blows my mind. And, and I think it's, it's fucked up and, you know, something needs to be, I don't know what can be done really. Just don't be a dick. It should be a lifelong rule for people, I would assume, but some people yeah. don't buy by it. I don't get it. I, I agree, man. It is, it's a, it's a silly, silly thing. And I think what it comes down to is, is that, you know, certain organizations kind of run themselves like that because they, <laughs> I think they just like, they're scared, right? Like they want to corner that market so they don't have to worry about competition and they kind of come from a different background where like in certain industries or certain markets you could do stuff like that mm-hmm. where it really shouldn't be that way because it's like it's like anything else think about it this way i mean like look how many just look at like craft beer right like how many damn brands are there or go to amazon how many damn brands sell the same type of like health supplements you know mm-hmm. they're all made by the same damn manufacturer the difference is that the it's the label that's put on top of it and right. so it's no different when it comes to the world of comedy. Honestly, it's like there can be multiple comedy clubs in Austin and there will be at the end of this year. And, and what's going to come about is that each one of them are, are going to be forced to really find their niche, right? Like to find out what is their value proposition? What do they bring to the market mm-hmm. than the, the other ones that don't? So that way, because that's the only way to really separate yourself. You're right. Like you have to like, and, and that's the problem. You have to look at this from a business perspective and the business perspective says that there's always going to be competition, but you have to find what you do differently that no one else does. And then own that shit and run with it. And unfortunately um, that's, that's just not always, it hasn't been that way in the comedy world. A lot of places, no matter whether it's here or in other parts of the, the, the country, they still run that way. And it's going to shift. It's, it's already shifting. It's going to shift even more. Like yeah. the, the industry itself is going to be flipped on its head by the end of this year. Like guaranteed. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to see a, a major shift where power is going to be brought back to the comedian, um, where these comedy club and owners aren't going to be able to strong arm people. And, uh, and it's just, they're not going to have that anymore. So 
and it's good. Like I think it, you know everything happens for a reason, and this is healthy. It's healthy because the industry has been stuck, kind of like in 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 old school mode. It's like they've been stuck in the eighties since the eighties, and we're in two thousand twenty one, and they still it still hasn't evolved. So yeah, it, it's it's time. You see, you know what's interesting is that 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 business aspect of comedy that you're bringing in and all these other, I guess, moving shakers are bringing in music. Didn't have that so much. It is. It, there's no, there was no, there's not, there's not really like, there was not really an infrastructure for people, for people to, to, to thrive in music to begin, not to begin with, but it, it's kind of, it, it died off, but it's, it's good that oh. at least, is that, now, I was just gonna say, music had its shift when like streaming music became a thing, right? When iTunes became um, a, a platform for people to listen to music, when Spotify and Pandora came up, when mm-hmm. um, Napster, shit. I mean, when Napster came up, yep. um, that's when actually it, it. Although some people might say it killed it, what it did is it, it killed it for the larger companies right like the large corporations that that made money off of these other people that's when they lost their control and and that's when the power came back to the artist really because now you have people like chance the rapper who never had a major deal the guy makes millions of dollars Mm -hmm. by doing his own tours and releasing his own albums um you you have these SoundCloud rappers or musicians that get found on there. You have people like Justin Bieber who was found on YouTube. YouTube you know, yeah. yeah, like th- that. The thing is, the the power has shifted where you don't necessarily need a a uh, you know Def Jam's or a Interscope Records to really make a career anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happened with music that kind of shifted, um, and and that's where comedy is going towards i don't think it's there's going to be like a streaming service that necessarily like makes it more accessible i just think there's going to be more developments that happen because you know i i I know it's not a perfect industry and there's a lot of stuff in there that is still shady and and it's and and works against the comedian you know a little bit and so they they being the artist they kind of get the short end stick sometimes um in, in some of these deals and so it, you know, like perfect examples of like, you look at what happened with Dave Chappelle, right? Like Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. literally got screwed out of his own name. Like he didn't own the show, the Dave Chappelle show. He didn't <laughs> own it. He walked away because he didn't want to do it anymore. Right. And they still owned his fucking name. And it's like, how does that make any sense? Like anyone in their own right. Like if I said around, I was like, if I woke up one day, I was like, man, I, Dave walked away from the show. He's not getting paid but I still own his name. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that. Like that <laughs> that's the problem. I wouldn't be able to say, I wouldn't be like, fuck. I'd be like, fuck, man, that's horrible. This is horrible. But there are too many people out there that just don't give a shit. And that, those are the people that are running the business. And so it's got to shift. It's got to come back. But, you know, it also goes to show like his video that he did, the Unforgiven video, right. that really opened up the eyes and say, hey, you don't like that power is there. Like he has that power now that he can come out and speak out against this stuff and explain it in a way that people can understate and relate to so much so that they will boycott watching that show that is an incredible show. One of the best shows the, the ever best to be show. made. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they will stop watching it because Dave asked them to 
And not just because Dave asked him to, it's also because of how shitty that situation exactly is. And so what happened? Like Netflix stopped putting it up. Netflix was the first one. And I think Netflix is a great company. They, mm-hmm. they said exactly what they should have said. Like, Dave, I'm sorry. We'll take it down. Then HBO Max HBO did, took yeah. them a little bit. Took, a let, took them a little bit of time, but they finally came around to it. And then now he's got the rights back to it. And he's got the rights and he's going to probably re- relaunch it, I think is is the what I've heard. And so... Relaunch uh, it? What do you mean relaunch it? Yeah, he's going to start doing the Chappelle show again. They're going to start making I, new shit. Somebody, somebody told me that. Yeah, somebody told me, oh, Dave Chappelle is, is going to be doing something huge like by this summer or something like that. By the way, can you hear my sister next door or no? A little bit, but not that bad. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Not distracting. Yeah. Uh, so how, how does the, so 2020, how does the connect with Vulcan happen? Because right, you did so, the venue, which is literally a block down the street. Yeah. So 2020, we started doing the um, online comedy shows and those were going well. And I had some people that were bringing on to help grow it. And people were jumping on board. They're like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I want to be part of it. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So we were doing all that stuff. I had a handful of people. And one of those people was Sarah uh, Fleming. Sarah's awesome person, very well connected in Austin. She had worked for a media company out in San Antonio. And because of COVID, she got laid off. So she was looking for new opportunities. So I had her come on to help out a little bit. And then... Um, Again, just being a connected person, she saw Nick, uh, Nick, the owner of Vulcan. Um, he put out a post on Facebook saying how Vulcan was reopening. Um, mm-hmm. They had been closed for eight months and that they were looking to bring on other types of acts, um, shows like uh, comedy shows were one of them. And, and they were just trying to really pivot to survive during uh, the COVID you know, right. experience. And so... Um, being a comedy was one of them. Sarah sent me a screenshot. It was like, Hey, you should talk to him. And at that time I was, I was looking for venues to possibly, I was toying around with doing live shows again. Cause mm-hmm. I saw some other people starting to do them and I was like, Oh man, should we get back into it? But I knew we had to find the right situation. Like we had to find the right partner, but we had to find the right partner that also was prepared to make it safe for COVID. Cause I didn't want to do show. I wasn't like an anti-masker. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't one of these people that didn't believe that COVID was going on. I truly did believe, and, mm-hmm. and I still do. But at the same time, like, I wanted to get back out there and do something in a safe manner. So, uh, I, so I talked to Nick, finally got around talking with Nick. He gave me a rundown. I gave him a rundown. He, we struck a deal. It was a great deal for both of us. And he's like, uh, just run and do your thing, man. He's like, he's like, let's just do it. Book it out. So I had already had contacts with the agencies. Okay. This is the uh, funniest part of this whole story. <laughs> I already had contacts with the agencies. One of them being, uh, being ICM, which I brought in uh, one of their clients. And I had a couple other people. And I was like, all right, let's, let's bring them in. So I started booking it up. And first three shows. So... The funniest thing, okay, like to go back to the agency side, yeah. once I started reaching out to them, they were like, oh my God, they gave me, they were talking to me. They were talking, but some of them were still hesitant. Like the larger agencies were a little hesitant, but even the smaller agents, they were like, they were jumping on board. So we struck some deals. Um, and the third, we had three shows that did pretty decently. We mm-hmm. had um, Ida Rodriguez, who I'm a big fan of. I love her. She came out and she did, I think her second show. 
and she's a bigger name, right? Like she's got some experience. She's got some clout behind her. Mm -hmm. Um, she's got like a half an hour special with uh, Tiffany Haddish, uh, on Netflix. And she also has, has a deal with HBO that she's supposed to put out another special soon. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, oh man, I'll book her. She'll be a big name. She'll draw on some people. She actually didn't sell that well. And I I do believe it was the COVID that's really kind of what did it. But, um, fast forward for our fourth show, we brought in Craig Connett. Um, I don't know if you know him, but he's kind of like the claim to fame. He, he got famous on the internet just from, from some of his viral stories that he has. And if you've never watched him or list or seen him do stand up, you need to like, dude, is hilarious. I'll look him up. Yeah, he's got some of the funniest stories, man, in the world. And, um, and so he came, so we booked him. He came out, he, he ended up bringing Ali Makovsky as the feature and nice. um and and so the between the two of them we sold out that show like we went from like selling kind of like half in the first three shows uh and to selling uh, every every table there was there's 35 tables in Vulcan and we sold out all 35 of them um at, for that show and so we had about 100 people there roughly <laughs> And uh, still, you know, everything was COVID safe, wear masks, uh, the, the Vulcan's very large, it's like 10,000 square feet. So like to, to be able to fit in 100 people was very easy to do it with right. uh, everything being spread out and so forth. So uh, it, it went really well, went so well that I was like, hey, let's bring back Allie for a headliner in like a month. And so we did. And when she came back, she sold out. But our next show after Craig was actually um, Tony Hinchcliffe. That's the first one I went to. Yeah, yeah. So this is the one that really kind of put us on the map. Like Craig's show was good, but Tony's we we changed a few things around. We were we fit about 143 people in there more. Um, or 143 people versus I think the other one was like like 102. So we had more people in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Wednesday night, so he he was playing kind of like an off night because he yep. was in route to do a weekend in in Dallas. I want to say and. So he came in town and I remember like I had a little bit of experience with dealing with some people, but uh, Tony sends me, calls me, I get this number, I get this call from LA, uh-huh. uh, this must be somebody. And uh, I pick up the voicemail and I was like, hey, Brandon, it's Tony Hinchcliffe here. I was wondering if I could bring my friend Ron White to the show tonight. And, and he's like, call me back. And I was like, all right. So then he sends me a text message. He's like the great and powerful Ron White wants to come but he wants to park his tour bus as they're parking on the street. I'm like, holy shit, like, Ron White's coming. I'm like, it's 6th Street. Where the hell are we going to park a fucking tour bus? <laughs> like, like, what are we going to do here? So uh, so I'm like scrambling, trying to figure all this stuff out, working with Vulcan and their GM and Nick uh, to get everything kind of uh, handled. And then uh, not even an hour and a half before the show, uh, Tony sends me another text. He's like, Joe's going to come too. I was like, fuck, really? Like, yeah, awesome. I was there. I was fucking yeah. and you, Dude, that's so dude, it was, it was so good. So, see, I don't I don't know if you remember, but I had bought I I bought the, a VIP table. I bought a table. I don't I don't remember if it was VIP or not, but it, I bought a table and I bought it on the second floor. I didn't look at the map right. And I uh-huh. text Nick. I'm like, hey, I want to get it. I, I fucked up. I want to get another table. And Nick gave me your number, I think. And I text you and I said, hey. I, I fucked up. I need to get another, I need to get another table. And I bought the second one and I asked you to cancel the other one. I don't know if you remember that. I, I think so. Maybe. But, but I, anyway, 
Yeah. It, it, it was one of those, because I, I know Tony. I know Tony, too, personally. And oh, nice. when he told me um, that he was that he was moving here, I was like, yes, fucking no, no brainer. Like, I'm going to go. I've seen him every time he comes to town. And yeah. we got to hang out a few times. Now I'm just dropping names. I'm just bragging right now. But it, it, it was <laughs> one of those, because I, I, I knew, I'm like, if Tony going to be, if Tony going to be there and either Joe or Ron is going to show up. And then sure enough, that was a fucking awesome show, man. That was so good. It, it was, man. It was, it was great. Cause it was, it was Joe's first time doing stand up in Austin mm-hmm. since he moved here. It was Ron's first time doing stand up since he, since COVID started. Yeah. And, and all of them just crushed it. It was just like, it was amazing. And, and so that show actually put us on the map. Really. I owe a lot to Tony. I love Tony a lot. And a lot of people, you know, like he's a, he's a certain, you know, he's a acquired taste for some people. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and, 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 but I love him, man. I like, I like, let, let's say he's got a, he's got the reputation of kind of being a dickhead and I get along with dickheads though. Like I, uh-huh. maybe cause I'm kind of a dickhead myself too sometimes, but um, he really is a nice guy deep down though. Like that's, that's the nice thing. It's like, he always jokes around and he has like, He's very particular and he knows what he wants, but he's Tony. And that's what I love about him is that he's not, he's unapologetic and he is who he is. And I think that's like the beauty in some people is that they are just themselves and they don't give a fuck what other people think. Like if you're going to be a dick or maybe, maybe it's not, I don't even think it's him being a dick. It's just, he knows what he wants and that can come off as being a dick, right? Like if you're very strong in your opinions, people are going to take it the wrong way. And so, I love Tony. I think he's a great guy and I owe a lot to him, to be honest with you. Like, honestly, like in all of this, when at the end of the day, like I don't argue with Tony with some shit. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll put, sometimes I got to put him in his place. You know, sometimes he puts me in my place, but like, it's a, it's a good relationship and, and I like him a lot. So that show was incredible. It put us on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, I owe a lot to him and that's, uh, and, and since then, I've been able to work with him, you know, a lot. You know, him and Red Band uh, pretty much come every Thursday for the most part. Yeah. Uh, Tony uh, Tony just did a show with us on Saturday. He's done two of these, like, uh, his, his own shows, his, Tony and his current friends. Um, and he always rocks it out. I mean, like, this past, on Saturday, he, he had Ron White come out, Brian Holtzman, um, Genevieve, who's from, she's from L.A., Detroit originally. Uh, lived in LA and then I think they're out in like Dallas right now, but she was, she was awesome too. And then uh surprise guest came out was, uh, were you there? No, yeah. I wasn't there, but I know Joe showed oh, yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Joe showed up at the end and that was the second time to in, in, in three days that he showed up. Like Joe was on the Thursday show and they showed up on the Saturday show. Uh, and it was great, man. It is, is it's amazing. It's been incredible and a fun ride. It's just, it's funny to talk about, what we did in the beginning and kind of how it all progressed. And then, um, you know, the support that I have from Nick has also been a, a huge part of this, right? Like I couldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for Nick. Mm-hmm. Nick has been a, a huge supporter and, um, and, you know, and, and this is not to like to my own horn, but I, I work my ass off. Like I work a lot, like I'm a very hard worker and anyone who's worked with me knows my work ethic. And so he recognizes that and, and we just, we have a good working relationship and, and we've become friends through this whole process, but he's been awesome. And 
I know that everything that we've done at this point, I ha- I wouldn't be able to do without people like Nick and Tony and Red Band and and all the people at Vulcan and uh, everyone that's helped me out with BLC, you know, between Sarah and then, you know, we've expanded to do shows down in San Antonio, which I, I yeah, got I was going to ask you down. about that because you got yeah. Eddie Griffin and uh, Adam Ray you've been working with. And I'm like, so how, how did the San Antonio Connect happen? So to be strategic, if you want to really, so this is the thing where like some of these comedy clubs have power over others is because some of these comedy clubs have, you know, eight or nine, sometimes more like the improv has how many clubs across the country. And that's why like, if you're in with the improvs, then you're sitting in well. And so, but what it comes down to is that if how you can leverage, like one way to offer a value proposition, right? Like I'm talking about how to be different from other people is Mm -hmm. to have other places for people to go do comedy. And so we we were setting up and we are setting up a route in Texas, San Antonio, Austin, going to be going to Houston and Dallas. Uh, those are the places that we want to be able to set up shops so we can bring in some of these names that don't necessarily need or want or don't have the opportunity to go at some of these other clubs. Because like some cities like Dallas, Dallas and Houston both don't have a lot of comedy clubs anymore, especially with COVID that came up. Houston has the improv and they have the secret group. And that's really about it. Uh, Dallas, I, I mean, I, I think they have one club there. Addison has the improv. Yeah. Um, they got Hyenas and Fort Worth and Hyenas in Dallas. I want to say, I don't know. I remember, but it, it, it's both, all the cities don't really have a lot of clubs for people to play it. So um, by us offering kind of a unique model where it's like, we don't necessarily have our own comedy clubs, but we have venues that we turn into comedy clubs mm-hmm. and allow these people to come to, uh, is what really helps us. You know, we, ha- we are able to do more comedy in more places. Now, San Antonio has been quite interesting just cause it's a, an interesting market in itself, right? right? It's not, it's not at Austin where Austin is conditioned to go out and see live shows because of the live music um you know background that it has uh, dallas and houston being very large cities they they're accustomed to going out and doing things as well uh san antonio is kind of just a weird market man it's <laughs> it's it's been Look, the, it's, the, the best part of san antonio is austin is what we say <laughs> you haven't heard that one yet <laughs> no <laughs> dude it's it's a, it's a running joke the best because people want to actually go out and do stuff from san antonio they drive up here that that's really people say Marcus same thing people from uh uh even Waco would drive all the way down to Austin I don't know if that's the case anymore but I know like what's in San Antonio you go to a club in a in a shopping center it's kind of weird it is it <laughs> it's is fucking weird, weird. There's, a, there's a club and a Starbucks right next to it you're like eh, I don't know it's too much parking <laughs> like where I want to I want to hop a little bit it's, I don't want to go to Starbucks it's kind of weird yeah it is weird man um, and that, and that actually, uh, speaking of San Marcos, that's another area that we uh, are going to be doing some comedy shows in. We have uh, one set up starting in in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we're bringing Mark Norman down there, and so ah, good old um, Mark. Yeah, man. So we're we're just doing our part um, to provide opportunities and stage time for comedians, uh, and, and and get paid while they do it, and at the same time bring really good, high quality comedy for. To, to the people, man. And that's, that's our goal, uh, has been from day one since we started big laugh comedy. And 
it's fun. And so San Antonio has been interesting. You know, like we had Eddie Griffin down there. Mm-hmm. Eddie is the coolest motherfucker in the world. Like, <laughs> so like people, I so I got in touch with his, he had a director of operations at the time. Uh-huh. And um, she kind of gave me the lay of the land with Eddie saying that like, he's a very particular person and then he's very opinionated. And then there's sometimes there's things that come up. So she prepared me essentially for the worst, but I listened and I was like, all right, as long as we don't do X, Y, and Z, we'll be fine. Right. Like yeah. I wasn't scared. Like, I feel like some people would be scared to hear all that. But oh shit, like we have to deal with this person. I was like, no, as long as we keep everything smooth and light and, and have what he asked for, that's fine. Like we'll, we'll make it work. So sure enough, Eddie showed up. We had a great weekend. Great weekend. Like, first of all, Eddie was so nice. He was gracious to everybody. We kept a very tight group around him. So there wasn't a lot of moving pieces, which I think helped a lot. But uh-huh. he um, he had particular things that he needed in the green room. We got everything set up for him. He was happy. In between the two shows, he was still going. It's like, you know, like some people you would think like when they get off stage, do they want to decompress? No, Eddie was still rolling. Like he, went, <laughs> he was going for like 20 minutes, like off stage in between the shows. And we're just rolling. He brought out his boy Sticks, who is... Uh, he's a comedian, but he has uh, MS, and so he's got he's got the you know crutches essentially. Yeah. And he 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 was such um he was so cool and fun, and uh, it was it was a great great time to um to, to be around him. But he was cracking on sticks the whole time. He was like making fun of his disability, but like <laughs> sticks like. But like that's what people think is like, oh, they don't want to be made fun of. No, they do want. No, to they do. Don't be treated like anybody else. That's that's yeah. It. That, well, we yeah. we had a show two weeks ago that we had two dwarfs, you know, small people, um, at the show because the, Sarah, who helps us out with the shows, she did a um a, a midget wrestling show on Sunday, like mm-hmm. three days before, and so she brought two of these guys, and they've been doing this stuff forever. And they brought two of the wrestlers to come see the comedy show. And mm-hmm. so they sat up there front and center. And it wasn't until like the last, like, or last or second last person to point them out. And was like, holy shit, we have, you know, a midget in the house. And, um, and they went up to literally the, the small people came up to them afterwards. was like, listen, thank you so much. It, we, we went through how many comedians and it took, you know, took you the second to last person to actually recognize us. And, and to point it out during the show, he's like, thank you. He's like, that was awesome. And so they want, they want that attention. They don't want to feel like, you know, they're, they're being treated special. So, uh, but yeah, Eddie was great, man. And, and, you know, the, the great thing was is like um, that weekend we had Fahim Anwar yep. playing in Austin and he sold out that Saturday show. And I was staying down in San Antonio to make sure everything ran smooth. It was like our first real big show down there. And so I was staying down there to make sure everything was running smoothly. We were up to like three o'clock in the morning, or I was up to three o'clock in the morning the night before. I didn't get more than like maybe three hours of sleep. I got up, we were taking care of stuff. I had to do some work. And then I drove back to Austin to catch the beginning of Fahim's show to make sure everything was running smoothly. And luckily I had brought on like an associated producer to kind of run things. So I, I could do, you know, both mm-hmm. and um, uh, everything ran smoothly. I drove back to San Antonio Holy that shit. night to go see the show. Yeah. And uh, um, 
I went and I came, I walked into the first, or I, I was, I came in between the end of the first show and the beginning of the second show. And I went into the green room and Eddie was standing there and he looked at me and I was like, what's up, baby? He was like, what's up, baby? And we were like, we were talking and I was like, um, someone came up in the green room. They're like, man, there's a line across the, down the street, out the door. I'm like, yeah, man, this, this, this show sold out. And he's like, all right. I'm like, let me go. I'm going to go check on a few things. And so I go walk out the room. And as I'm about to walk out, he's like, where are you going to? I'm like, I'm going to go check up on some stuff. He's like, what do you need to know? He's like, we got a line out the door down the street. This, the, the show sold out. He's like, what else do you need to know? Come chill. Have a Exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this, is, this is good. This is good. Because it, it, here's the thing. Do you were saying earlier that you, you didn't want to you give up on doing stand-up because yeah you'd be out at night and all that all those stuff but but now you're doing the same thing as a producer because you're running to make sure that everything runs smoothly dropping back and forth between San Antonio and Austin but at least at least I'm guessing you're enjoying it I, I've I've done a lot like I said I've done I produce a lot of shows you know in Austin and that's the thing like when you're especially if you're doing it by yourself like if you're the point guy yeah. And you're running around, you don't really get to enjoy it. Yep. You know, and that, so, and he, he's absolutely right. You got to just chill. Like, look, man, it'll, it'll be what it will be. You know, things still, do you have a whole team that on the ground, like with you, or is it just yeah. you running around? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the beauty in all this is like, as, as things started to pick up, like I've learned through life and other experiences, just like you can't do stuff. You can't do something if you want to do something big by yourself. And so I was always bringing on people. And again, it's the same kind of, like I said, like when you're doing good stuff, things get attracted to you, right? Like the universe throws you stuff, either it's opportunities or it's people or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's keeps on like, it's it's what keeps on happening. You know, like uh, I get put in touch with people who want to help. Um, I met Davey, who, Davey uh, Jackson, who's down in San Antonio. He's a comedian, but also uh, um, a retired business person. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I say retired, he's young. He's like in his mid thirties, but um, he, he's, he's got plenty of like background in the, in the business world and some really strong um, things that he has on his resume, but he wants to do comedy. And so um, I, we, we worked out a deal and, you know, he was somebody who like reached out, he was doing like a lot of shows when the pandemics or when things started to open up a lot, especially San Antonio. And I started to offer him some advice from the stuff that we were doing at Vulcan. And mm-hmm. so we would just start talking and he's like, honestly, man, he's like probably the only other person that I feel like that can keep up with my work ethic, to be honest with you. Like, like as much as I put into it, he puts in the same amount of effort. So I was like, we just kind of naturally clicked and he's basically runs the show down in San Antonio Mm-hmm. I run the shit up here. And even now at this point, like um, I'm getting to the point where I, I just, I have other things I need to do beyond just producing the show. So I got other people coming on and helping out with producing the shows as well. So uh, yeah, I mean, I got, I got help. Like you can't like where we're going with BLC, there's no way I'd be able to do it by myself. And so, um, so everyone, you know, we, everyone, you know, gets something out of it in some way. And uh, it's been fun, man. It's fun to be around other people that like enjoy comedy and want to have a good time and want to grow this stuff. But yeah, you're you're right, yo. It's funny to think about it. Like I said that earlier was, and, and I didn't even realize it. Just to like a good callback was, uh, I I uh, I didn't want to put in the time because I had a family and all that stuff. 
But, you know, back then, the, the reason why I was like stand up was a little bit harder was because it was a part time job. And I knew like to be successful in stand up, you got to put in like yeah. 10 plus years, right? Like, yeah, that, that, like, that, yeah, that's a magic number that, that, that I've heard a lot. There's 10 years, find your voice in about five or six and then practice it and, and, and really hone it, you know, and then you hit 10 and some shit happens. And yeah. it's, and it is, um, and at the end of the day, I don't know how you are. I would say 30s, something like that. 37 or 38, actually, just turned 38. Oh, I just, just turned 39. God damn it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't look it, and you don't either. So I think we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll you, be all right. Yes. We'll be all right. But uh, yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it is. Uh, I mean, the, the Dean Del Rey story is unique. Like, here's a guy. Well, I actually, no, because, you know, when you think about like Ronnie Dangerfield, you think. Uh, some of the guys that they really hit it hard later in life. Yeah. Um, but you know, True. you don't have, and, and, and there's a reason why a lot of, a lot of comics like established comics don't have kids until they're in their forties or fifties. You know, Bill Burr has two kids, you know, Robert Kelly got his guy, got his, uh, got his son late. And I'm like, I get it because it you have to be out there all the time, hitting up mics mm-hmm. like three or four times a, a night, you know. Yeah. And when you live in a city like New York or LA, where do you have the chance and the opportunity to get on stage that much? Like you can't slack. And when you no. and, and it's funny when you hear people say, oh, I've been doing comedy for five years, and then you see him perform and you go, Nah, not really. You probably just half-assed it or took a break. It, it's not about when you start, it's about how often and how consistent you've been in those five years and yeah. don't add up, just don't add up the months. It doesn't, it doesn't represent how much, you know, comedy you've done. Um, but yeah, I did. I think it's, you know, it's a young person's game, but uh, you know, you get in where you fit in and I think you found your thing. Yeah, exactly, man. You, you do have to find where you fit in. And, you know, it's, it's funny because like 10 years is about that line. And that's what like scared me when I was first getting into it. So it was like, Oh man, mm-hmm. if I really want to do this, I got put in 10 years. Like, but I always thought like, oh, I could do this faster. And I probably could have if I really put my mind to it, honestly. Um, I have no doubt I could have made it work. But I uh, I chose a different path. I just felt like this was better suited for my my skill set. And yeah. I thoroughly enjoy it. Like, I thoroughly enjoy being behind the scenes and just allowing these funny people who are putting in the time and effort and they've crafted their you know skill set. And they, they got it down. It's just amazing to be a part of that and just to help them. And, um, and you know, everything happens for a reason, man. So it's just like you got to roll with, with what what you see as better. And, and that's what I saw. It was that, like that was the opportunity. Um, it, it is funny, though, man. It's like uh, I, there is one. There's a couple of comedians, though, that have figured this out to a science. There's a science behind it. They figured out the science. Like, I understand that, like, you cannot really get around um, stage time, but there are some people, there's this, this woman, Jennifer, Jennifer Fullwire, while Weiler, I, I'm murdering her last name right now. Okay. But anyway, she, she has a really interesting story where she actually started off as like a blogger, right? Right. When blogs were kind of coming up, uh-huh. she has a story where her and her husband converted to Catholicism. And then they ended up having like six kids and she blogged all about this. And so she grew this like large following of Catholic people around the country. And, and so she was a blogger. She got to fame from that. Mm-hmm. And then she started to do comedy. 
and all her comedies is very like family friendly, clean stuff. But she didn't have the time having six kids, having a business. She didn't have the time right, to right. really go out and do eight mics or, you know, in, in one night or uh, whatever it was. So she started to develop a science. She started and she showed me she has a fucking spreadsheet dude, that is color, <laughs> color coordinated with jokes, timing, how high, how big of a laugh it will get and all this stuff. And, and, and she she's figured it out to science where she can go out and do some of her material and she has to tighten up and stuff like that and uh -huh. still perform. But she put on her own tour in 2019 and she like sold out small theaters around across the country wow it was incredible it was incredible maybe she would be a good guest for you actually i think her story would be awesome I'd love, to tell I'd, I'd love to i'd love to hear that because here's the thing like I, I i've talked to a lot of comedians professional open micers and they, you know there's not really a, a given formula to this it's no. the only formula is get on stage that's it that, that there's no you gotta hustle you got to get out there. You got to you gotta write and you just got to perform. And the only way to test whether your shit is funny or not is put it in front of people. That's it. Even yep. if it's a room full of comics who've heard your jokes 2,500 times, you still got to get out there and do it. And so it's interesting to, 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 to hear these other people that like they they were doing something before. I mean, shit, look at uh, uh, Piven. Yeah. So yeah. I, I saw him at Moon Tower, I think it was a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. It was like a special guest at, after like a uh, goddamn comedy jam or something like that. It was at Antone. It doesn't matter. But I was like, holy shit, Jeremy Piven is actually pretty fucking funny. And he, he really is. And it, he went from being, you know, Ari and all that stuff, acting and all that stuff. And then now he's on stage doing comedy. And you can't, you can't knock that because you're like, he found his thing. Yeah. Or another thing, he, another thing he can do, which is great, which is great. So, uh, another guy who who went pretty quickly, Brandon Schaub. Yeah. Was he was a fighter, right? I'm not. I'm not mistaken. He was an MMA fighter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then within two three years, he was already like you know touring. Well, he probably had to connect, which is great. But yeah, uh, there, there's not really a, a, a set path uh, when you you know uh, Instagram, not uh, not Instagram. But like TikTok and YouTube uh, influencers or celebrities are jumping in in comedy as well. And I'm like, why not? The more, the better. Yeah, that's, so, that's absolutely right, man. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing. There is no perfect formula. Like, like you said, everybody's different. There's so many different there, – there is kind of like – it depends on where you go, right? Like if, if you look at people who come through the comedy store, for example, mm -hmm. the comedy store kind of has a path for you, right? You come there, you work as in the door or, you know, at, at the, at the comedy store, right. and then you work your way up, you work your way up to being a paid regular. And a lot of times that will happen. And you see a ton of these younger guys. I mean, Tony Hinchcliffe, he was, was the door guy. The was door guy. Yeah. Already and he worked that. his way up. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all, it's, it's all kind of the, the same path for them in that sense, but there's no, like, there's no large comedy store. It's like, and it's such a, because it's such a big city and such a, a high dense amount of a high dense of uh, comedians, it's, it's high competition. So it's hard mm -hmm. to like become a door guy there. But honestly, that's what part of our goal is with BLC is to provide be almost like a larger 
comedy store for comedians. So there's a, a, a way to be nurtured through working and being around the higher level comedians and also getting stage time and producing content and, and just doing that stuff. And so mm-hmm. um, that's our goal moving into the future. Uh, a lot of what people will see right now is that we're producing live shows, but we are not just a live comedy production company. We are a comedy media company. And mm-hmm. so we will, you will be seeing a lot more of like video content, news related stuff around comedy, um, everything that's all encompassing when it comes to comedy and the industry, you'll see coming out from our brand uh, in the very near future. And so it's fun, it, it's fun, man. And the comedy world is, I mean, this is probably the one of the best industries to be a part of right now. There's so much oh, yeah. opportunity. So much opportunity. And, and, and then, you know, after the shitty ass here we just had, you know, it, it, it's, and the, 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 the state of the culture, I would say, comedy is, is the, is, is the one outlet and it's getting dangerous again. You know, Ari Shafir said that uh, a while back. He was like, it's great because, you know, yeah, cancel culture and we had Trump for a few years and people are pissed off and, and, but they're looking for something to, you know, um, kind of, you know, laugh it off or just uh, enjoy themselves again. And comedy is, is really the thing. You know, there's a reason why Andrew Schultz is selling out now that he's back on the road. There's a reason why he's selling out because he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking uh, this opportunity with COVID. I'm going to do my shit on Instagram. I'm going to do, um, put, put my shit on, on YouTube and I have a podcast and now it blows up. So th- th- there, was, there was a void for a while. And I get it that, you know, as a comic, you take away touring, you take away being on stage. And now they're eager to just, let me, I need to get back on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you don't you don't miss it. Don't want to go back just for the fuck of it. Just uh, I mean, I kind of do, but at the same time, like there's so much going to be happening <laughs> with the company that like I I just I won't have the time. Man. Maybe, maybe like once things get settled a little bit, but at this time we're like I'm, I'm in hyper growth mode, so I'm doing as much as we possibly can to keep things uh, popping. Because, like I said, there should be competition, man. And, like, competition, mm-hmm. competition. Like, at the end of the day, it's healthy. I think it's healthy competition. Right. Um, I think it's great for the community. I think it's great for comedy community as well as the, the overall just community of Austin. Um, but I don't want to be left in the dust, man. I'm, I always want to be number one in everything I do. So, uh, All right. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great look. You're, you're a business. You're definitely a business guy. And I totally respect that. Uh, but do you do you go out and check out like other showcases around town, like local comics doing stuff or lo- local production companies? Uh, some sometimes, like I got a good relationship with Rob over at the Romo Room, and um, I got some comedian friends that put on shows and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I, I I try to. I don't though, not not a whole lot. I mean, I try to get out there, but I don't do a whole lot just because, like, from a talent perspective. I have so many people that just reach out to me unsolicited anyways. Like, you know, it's, it's like, if you want to get, a, if you want to have a lot of attention, you want to be an attention whore, uh, become a comedy producer and, or a booker, and then you'll have all the attention in the world. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I got a lot of people that reach out, but you know, I mean, I, I would love to do that more often, but I just don't necessarily have the time for it. And 
Um, I, once we get to a certain point, I'll probably have, there'll be probably be other people that go out and kind of do some scouting and, and so forth and, and stuff like that. But, um, I do try to put on like smaller showcases at Vulcan just so I can see some of the younger talent and see what people are doing. But, um, mm-hmm. I, occasionally I'll get out there. So. Well, cool, man. Wow. I don't know if that answers your question. No, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it does. It, it does. I mean, you're, you're, you have. From from what I've seen, I've been I've been to a bunch of them uh, at Vulcan the Secret Shows, the, the Big Ass Comedy Jam. I've I've been to a bunch of those, and honestly, I didn't I, I couldn't put a, a a face to a name or name to a face because I I get the emails on the VIP list. I'm like, who? What's Brandon? I'm like, I'm sure he's out here somewhere, but I don't know what he looks like. So it's good to it's yeah. good to put a a name to the face or face. I don't know what the expression is. Um, and so it's it's been it's been top notch, and you you've kind of not kind of you you've set the bar uh as far as what it what it means to really put on a quality show and by the way uh a lot of other people are um around town and i think it's 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 only going to grow up from there so i get the competition yeah. and trying to stay on top and everything i i, I, to, I totally get that um it, it to 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 me it's it, it was it was something it was the same thing with with music where i want to say music music in austin where uh there's a lot of you know local talent and when when people are 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 booking music shows it's like okay where are the local people you know it's don't don't get don't get me wrong i I get i get the process you want to establish that you know that uh, that standard and then be like all right now now that we got this down you know who's out there doing shit that you know, we can put on and we can work with or, or whatever. I, 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 get, I totally get that process. So, um, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure down the road, uh, it is going to happen if it's not, if it hasn't already, but I, I, I totally get it. Time is, uh, is, uh, what's it called? What, what's the expression? Time is, uh, is not a commodity, some shit like that. I don't even know. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm delirious right now. Point is, you're doing great things. I'm really happy Thanks, for man. you. I'm really excited for you. Uh, Appreciate it, brother. I want to see more. Uh, I will see more. <laughs> and now I know who you are. So when I see you around, I'll you know, I'll buy yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Say what's up, man. Yeah, come by. You know, always say what's up. I'm I'm always say I'm always accessible during the shows. I, I might not be able to sit down and have a full conversation just because I usually get pulled in like six million different. Oh yeah, I get it. But I get it. But for sure love talking and seeing people. And that's the other thing too, man. It's like, I think one thing that we, we strive to do and it starts, it starts at the top starts with me is just being customer service focused, right? Like little, little things, like the little things always add up, like calling people by the names, smiling, being happy about the situation, thanking people for buying tickets, you know, thank mm-hmm. for people for coming out. If people want a refund, give them a refund. Like, honestly, it's one of the stupidest fucking things in the world. But I've, I know as a personal, as, as a consumer going to comedy shows in the past, I, there was a few times that Cap City couldn't make it because of whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get a refund. I'm like, seriously, you won't give me a refund? They're like, no, it's not refundable. I'm like, this is some bullshit. And so uh, I take these experiences that I've had that I felt that weren't fair and I've ch- changed them. Because I can't, like, I control the situation. So I can right. do this stuff. And I think it's better. Like, people are surprised sometimes when I, they, they give me a full out explanation, you know, like, oh, I got a doctor's note. I promise you, I was in the hospital. I'm like, I hope you're okay. 
here's your refund. Like it's not at the end of the day, it's not going to make a big difference to me. If you got like a hundred, if a hundred dollars has to go back to you because something happened, like it's, it's not about the money. Like, honestly, I could say if, if I could do this and live my life very comfortably without having to make a dime from doing this, I would do this for the rest of my life. Like I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Um, and same thing goes with like drink minimums and stuff. Like you have comedy clubs, so you're like, you have to, to buy two to drinks. Drink, yeah, two drink minimum. That's what I get the money. You don't have two drink minimum place. Like, come and have a good time. You want to drink as much as you want. Drink as much as you want. You don't want to drink that much. That's fine. Don't drink that much. But like, whatever it is, like, we just want you to come and have a good time. That's the key to this. And and we're happy that you're choosing us. And right. so, and that's where I think we're just stuff in general. I mean, like in this day and age, I can't tell you how I get so excited to talk to customer service people that actually like talking to customers. Like how amazing <laughs> is that, right? It's in the like, name, goddammit. <laughs> it is in the name, but how many times you talk to a customer service agent, they're like, ah, they don't want to be there. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, sorry, there's nothing I can do. Uh, it's part of our policy. Ugh. It's like, no, it's really not part of your policy. Like you could do something if you wanted to, um, but they choose not to. And and like, I, I get it, but it's like, that's why like I, I, I'm a sponge. I take I, I I take these little things that I notice from everywhere, and I try to incorporate in what we're doing to give the best experience to people that are being and supporting live comedy and supporting big laugh comedy and supporting all the comedians that are part of it. So, um, you know, if if anyone's watching this or listening to this that has been uh, coming to our shows, and especially to you back back, I uh, appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for everything that you're doing and helping us out. And it means a lot, man. It really does. Because it's not just about me. It's about the comedians, man. Like, honestly, like, I don't think people understand the type of people comedians are, right? Like, they go through a lot. Like, a lot of times, comedy is their therapy. It's yes. like they go through so much shit that when they get on stage, they have an outlet to release the stuff that's going on in the world and talk about a time that people need an outlet to release their shit. This is the time for it during this, this pandemic. And so, um, you know, you hear about the, the mental health issues that people have. And so just to be able to help them get onto the stage and get that stuff out and work with people and, and do the stuff that they love to do. I mean, that brings, that brings joy to me. It really does. Uh, how long? How long are you going to wait until you show delirious to your kids? Show what? Chris delirious Lee? or raw or one of those? Oh, 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 dude! So my oldest daughter is ten. She has seen the ice cream part from Delirious. And... I got my ice cream. Wait, that's raw. Oh, that's raw. My right, yeah, I got been, my I ice get, cream. Yeah, I always get both those specials mistaken. So Raw is the one I grew up. Raw is the one I the red suit. It's the better one, I think. Yes, it is the better one. Raw is the one that I grew up on. Raw is the one that I could literally recite almost the whole entire set, and that's the one that I have showed clips of it with my daughter. Like there's certain like the opening part I wouldn't show her. Yeah, uh, not quite yet. But like the ice cream bit, she's watched that entire thing and she, multiple times, and she loves it. She fucking loves it. She always says, "I got my ice, ice cream, yeah, and you can't and get nothing. none." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Want a lick? Psych. Yeah, I got my ice cream. 
You can't afford it. You can't afford it. And your father is an alcoholic. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. That was good, man. That was so good. Trust me, it's so so many quotables. Like I, I I've been I've been qu- quoting comedy for twenty plus years, like all the time. Right. It, whether it's it's Chris Rock, it's Eddie, it's Patrice, it's um, Bob Kelly, it's Richard Jenny, it's Carlin, it's all those guys. And I'm like, you know, you got to be a fan first. If you're going to yes. be in this business, whether you're a comic or you're a producer, you gotta you gotta be a fan first. And it's it's one of those. It, it, it it's a it's a need at this point it really is it really is, it is. So, all right yeah man go ahead what's what's your uh what's your dope shit you want to share we, we'll do plugs right after that do you have a something dope that could be a book a yeah. tv show or something uh, a website uh, my yeah my website i think it's dope as shit um <laughs> <laughs> I, I say we're doing plugs after that like what, uh, what? okay all right um I, show show uh Ted Lasso. Have you guys, is it good? The, so- it? the soccer one? When he's a soccer coach or something? Yes. So, With, uh, all right. Robert, no, what's his name? Sudeikis? Is it Jason Sudeikis? Yeah, Jason yeah. Sudeikis. Uh-huh. He, like, wrote it and produced it. And uh, so good, dude. It's, so the reason it's good is that, like, you would think it's, like, someone tried, someone told me, like, it was, like, kind of compared to, like, um, something else. I forgot what they compared it to. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is funny and it's wholesome and it's, like, positive and that and that i love that like i'm i'm very positive minded person and so to see a show that just like makes you feel warm inside it's like it's like if if chicken soup could be a show (laughs) that's what ted lasso is really all right yeah man i'll add it to my list because it dude it is so good and it's it's binge worthy it's a binge worthy show like honestly i think it, it got slept on I um, I did not know about it really at mm-hmm. all until the snowstorm that was here. We got trapped actually in in Denver. We were visiting my mother in law who just moved out there, mm-hmm. and um, she uh, she's like, "You guys need to watch the show." And so we started watching it, my wife and I. And now uh, <laughs> we just start binge watching. We finished it. We we're like, "Oh, we're gonna be leaving on Monday." I think we were gonna get out. Um, you know, after the weekend that we had there and we were trapped there for 10 days, but, uh, we fit, we finished it and it's just such a good show, man. I like, I literally would watch it again. Like, and, and like, and we just watched it a couple of weeks ago. It's just that good. It's funny as hell. And it's just a good, and it's fun because like, I've never seen a show on soccer either. Right. Like I'm it's not true. I, and I, especially a U.S. show. Like I'm yes. from France and soccer, nobody, people call it soccer. First of all, instead of football. Yes, that's another rant I can yeah. get. On, but <laughs> football with the foot, I call it. Like your yes. handball is already taken. That's why you call it football. The other one, anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Okay, I'll yeah, add so check that out. I think yeah, I think that's a that's a good one. Um, can I plug then now? I, I got share my dope shit and we plug. Yeah. Oh, my do- perfect. Okay. Yeah, go my, my, my dope shit is I just checked out the the new Sean Paul album on Spotify. Oh, nice. And I was gladly surprised. Like I'm a big dancehall reggae guy. Uh and you know Sean Paul's always been kind of he was like the chorus guy in the early two thousands. Like yep. you know, um what's his name? 
like T Pain was and like Akon was. He kind of fit in yep. there. But he has a really dope catalog if you go back to stage one and uh Dutchy World, Dutchy World thing is something like that. Anyway, so came out with a new one. Buju Bontam's on it, Mavado's on it, uh Agent Sasco's on it. Uh, there's a bunch of people on, on every song, there's somebody on it. So I liked I liked it. I think it's solid. So go check it out, Sean Paul. I forgot the name of the album because I just went on Spotify and searched Sean Paul and it popped up. So go ch- go check that out. Uh, if you like some dancehall music, all right. So plug time. Where can people find you? All that good stuff. Shows coming up. I mean, you're. I was looking at your calendar, man. You're a fool. Yep, we're and that's not even like half of it. We're we're we got we're pretty much booked out till August um of this year and then we'll be uh we'll probably be booked out to the end of the year very quickly and um hopefully into 2022 soon too so um like i said we're not stopping man we're just keeping this train rolling really fast and uh and i and you know i i I don't like to do things slowly so um (laughs) (laughs) hey to your uh, credit man to your credit you gotta move fast to be one that's right bro um so you guys can check us out on the website. Website's blcomedy.com. Um, you can also check us out pretty much on every social media platform. On Facebook, it's uh, you can just check it out facebook.com forward slash big laugh comedy. Instagram, it's uh, big laugh comedy network on Instagram. Um, and so, yeah, check us out. Follow us, like us, subscribe, whatever you need to do. We got all these great shows both in Austin and San Antonio summer uh, in June will be in San Marcos. And, uh, and then probably in May, we probably will be starting to do some shows, hopefully at uh, in Houston and Dallas too. Um, we're going to, we're knock on wood. We're, we got a, I have, I don't want to say the name yet, but we got a bigger old, old school person, but bigger name that we're doing a few shows in Texas with. So um, I'm happy happy we're able to get all this kind of up and running and rolling. Oh, and, and if you go now, if, you, if you're watching this and now you know what Brandon looks like, if you run to him, tell him how much you enjoy the show. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you don't have to tell me in person too, just screaming out on social media. Brandon, that wherever, well. yeah, that too. Share, 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 yeah. share, comment, tell your friends, you know, comedy is a, is the only art form you have to do in front of people. And so, you know, tell your friends, come out to shows, buy a table, four top, two top, six top, whatever you need. Uh, but bring it out. Like that when I, I came to the, the the comedy jam, I didn't want I didn't I didn't even plan on going out that night. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to buy a table for myself. <laughs> 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 and, and Tony and I ran to Tony at the door and it, it turned out that the my my table was was double booked somehow. Uh-huh. I bought like 10 minutes oh, before wow. before I showed up and Tony showed up. He's like, you're right back. I'm like. I did double book my shit and it was like, well, you know, whatever, just let me know if anything happens. But I ended up, they ended up moving me to, uh, to a better table actually. Good. So shout out to the staff over at Vulcan. Uh, it was a dope show. Really enjoyed myself. Um, so yeah, BLC, what, what, blcomedy.com is the website. Uh, make yep. sure you follow the feedback, uh, everywhere on social media back BAK, of course, cause that's my name. It's a pun. I get it. You get it. We all get it. Um, and yeah, we'll be talking to more comics, more people in the comedy world. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate what Absolutely, you're doing man. and thank all you, power to you. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for putting this on. Thanks for having me. This is awesome, man. This is a great time. I had a great time. 
Look, you'll be back though. You'll be back. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm gonna do some kind of rotation at some point and be like, "Yo, remember Brandon that I talked to back in uh, in March? Here we are, a year later. He's uh, all over the country." I like how you put yourself. You did an impersonation of yourself with a higher voice. Um, <laughs> hey, remember us? Remember me? Uh, don't don't forget us, little people. Once you make it, you know, <laughs> you know I talked to you when you were nothing. Now play. <laughs> and now look at you. You're you're booking people from SNL and from fucking what the hell, man? <laughs> I'm right, back so at this. Next time we do the show, you got to do the whole show with that voice. Oh man! Uh, All right, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, you know what? Actually, you know what? When I see you, when I see you at Vulcan, and be like, "Hey, what's up, Brandon? I'm buying you a drink." You'd be like, "Who let you in? Who let you in here with that fucking voice?" Oh my god! You, you'll like, know exactly. Voice, like you catfish me with your voice on the fucking <laughs> podcast, man. <laughs> You know exactly who I am. Hey, Brandon, it's me back. How you doing? Hey. I'll exactly know. I was like, yeah, get him a shot right now. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, man. And all Absolutely. the best. Talk to you next time. Ciao, ciao.